0: This is Rabbi Engel Engelmayer, and welcome to Keep the Faith, my weekly podcast in which we explore contemporary issues through the prism of Jewish law and tradition. I hadn't intended to deal with gun control in this podcast because, as I noted last week, I covered that subject in my Jewish Standard column. Since then, however, the number of mass shootings keeps mounting, and so does the death toll. Yesterday, Thursday, in Racine, Wisconsin, a gunman opened fire at a funeral wounding five people. It was the 21st mass shooting since the Uvalde massacre just nine days earlier. The 21st mass shooting in just nine days. Just the day before, on Wednesday, in Tulsa. Four people were killed by a gunman wielding an AR-15 assault rifle in a medical center, no less. Just over the three-day Memorial Day weekend, there were 14 mass shootings in 10 different states that left nine people dead and 63 people injured. As of yesterday, Thursday, 152 days into 2022, There have been 234 mass shootings here in 33 states and the District of Columbia, according to Gun Violence Archive. That's over three people killed in mass shootings every two days since January 1st. And amid all of this, we're hearing ominously frightening sounds coming out of the mouths of some elected officials on the right. On the right, not in the right. These sounds suggest something very sinister about calls to, quote, protect the Second Amendment, unquote. That very sinister something is an armed rebellion looming in the American future aimed at replacing our democracy with a dictatorship. If you think I'm exaggerating, I wish that were true. Keep listening, though. And so, the topic for this week is the Second Amendment, what's behind calls to protect it, why it really doesn't say what the right says it says, and what Jewish law says we have to do about it. Am I exaggerating about elected officials raising the specter of an armed rebellion? Consider these examples. Example number one. On May 15th, a Republican politician named Mark Robinson spoke at a church service in Nash County, North Carolina. Robinson is the lieutenant governor of that state. He's also a member of the National Rifle Association's Board of Directors, and he was a featured speaker at last weekend's NRA convention. He also has plans to run for governor of North Carolina in 2024. The state's Democratic governor, Roy Cooper, called the May 15th speech, quote, dangerous, unquote. That was too mild a word. Robinson delivered that speech less than 24 hours after an avowed racist used an AR-15 rifle to massacre 10 people in a Buffalo, New York supermarket. Robinson bragged to churchgoers about owning several AR-15 assault rifles of his own. Several AR-15s, not just one. He also told them why he owns them. It's because, he said, he'll need the firepower to fight back, quote, in case the government gets too big for its britches. I'll tell anybody. I got them AR-15s at home. And I like to go target shooting and all that, but that's not what they're there for. I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm probably not supposed to say it, but I'm gonna say it anyway. I got them AR-15s in case the government gets too big for its britches because I'm going to fill the backside of them britches with some lead, unquote. Example number two. Since entering Congress in 2021, North Carolina's ever-controversial first-term U.S. Representative Madison Cawthorn has been stopped twice at airports for carrying a loaded handgun. Last August, he spoke at a GOP event in North Carolina and issued this warning, quote, if our election systems continue to be rigged and continue to be stolen, then it's going to lead to one place and it's bloodshed, unquote. While he vowed to, quote, defend liberty at all costs, unquote, he also said that he would, quote, dread having to pick up arms against a fellow American, unquote. Cawthorn, by the way, very narrowly lost his primary bid to run for a second term, but I'm sure we haven't heard the last from him. Example number three, Alabama's Representative Mo Brooks is running in that state's runoff Republican Senate primary later this month. Speaking on Fox News on Sunday, just five days after the Uvalde massacre, Brooks vowed to fight any new gun control restrictions because, quote, the Second Amendment is designed to help ensure that we, the citizenry, always have the right to take back our government should it become dictatorial, unquote. He added, quote, as long as we enjoy uninfringed Second Amendment rights, then we don't really have to worry that much about the government ever becoming dictatorial. But the moment that we take from our citizenry, our ability to take our government back, is the moment that the ability of dictatorial forces increases to the point where perhaps they will try to implement a dictatorial government at the federal level, unquote. We hear such things from white supremacists all the time, but Robinson, Cawthorn, and Brooks are elected officials and they make no secret of why the Second Amendment is so important to them. They need the guns, just in case they feel the need to overturn our government and our way of life. Defending the Second Amendment is a battle cry, especially for Republicans, but there are some Democrats who sing the same tune. In this midterm election year, there already have been over 100 political ads in both broadcast and print featuring GOP candidates and office holders brandishing guns of all kinds. Texas Senator Ted Cruz, for his part, had this to say at last weekend's NRA convention in Houston. Quote, rarely has the second amendment been more necessary to secure the rights of our fellow citizens. Unquote. Later this month, the Supreme Court's conservative majority very likely will help, quote, protect, unquote, the Second Amendment if, as expected, the justices throw out New York State's strict limits on the concealed carry of handguns. It will be the Court's first major Second Amendment opinion in 14 years. And as you'll soon hear, it'll be only the second time in Supreme Court history that a majority of justices so broadly misinterpret what the Second Amendment actually says. According to UCLA law professor Adam Winkler, if the court does throw out New York law, it will, quote, make it harder for cities and states to restrict concealed carry of firearms, unquote. In 2008, the court ruled 5-4 to that the Second Amendment protects an individual's right to keep a gun in the home for self-defense, although it did say at the time that this Second Amendment right is, quote, not unlimited, unquote. What it didn't say in that case, District of Columbia v. Heller, was what those limits might be. The anticipated ruling in the New York case likely will address that, potentially leaving governments at all levels with even fewer options for regulating firearms. As Professor Winkler said, while we don't yet know exactly how broad a decision the court will hand down, quote, One thing is clear. As mass shootings become more of a political issue, the court is going to take options away from lawmakers on the basis of the Second Amendment, unquote. Aside from the threat of armed insurrection and mass murders, the biggest problem with both the calls to defend the Second Amendment and the 2008 and expected 2022 Supreme Court rulings is that the amendment doesn't say anything it's so ardent defenders say it says. Here's how the Second Amendment reads, quote, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, unquote. That's all it says. When they wrote the Second Amendment, this nation's founding fathers never gave license to people owning guns. They only gave license to gun ownership, because of the need to have a well-armed and organized militia, since there was no standing army, much less an armed forces. They also wanted to guarantee that state militias could never be disarmed. We have an armed forces today, and state militias continued to be armed, so the Second Amendment has been fulfilled. If the conservatives on the Supreme Court Do strike down the New York concealed carry law, by the way. It will be yet another example of the majority's conservative hypocrisy, especially on the part of the so-called strict constructionists and originalists on the court, the ones who claim that the Constitution may only be interpreted by following its words exactly, not interpreting them in any way. Certainly when it comes to gun control, they do just the opposite. Consider what the late Justice Antonin Scalia, the champion originalist, wrote in the 2008 Heller decision. Scalia believed that judges needed to interpret the Constitution based on its original and, quote, fixed meaning, unquote, and nothing else. In the Heller decision, he said that the militia phrase in the Second Amendment was nothing but a preface. It was never intended to be part of its integral meaning. Really? The phrase, quote, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, unquote, was just a preface? The only active phrase in the Second Amendment is, quote, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, unquote. If that's what our Founding Fathers meant when they wrote the Second Amendment, why did they need to add a preface? Because the Court's conservative majority and other strict constructionists and originalists insist that's all that matters, let's try to determine what exactly it was that our Founding Fathers meant by the Second Amendment. Common sense tells us, and previous Supreme Court decisions reflect this, they meant weapons they knew about, not weapons they never heard of or could even conceive of at the time. They meant single shot rifles and guns, not an automatic weapon that can shoot 800 rounds per minute over 13 rounds per second as the AR-15 can do, for example. Does anyone who's not on today's conservative rights seriously think the founders would have written the Second Amendment the way they did if they could have conceived of such weapons? Okay, let's say that in addition to the need for a well-regulated militia, they also approved of people owning guns for sport shooting and hunting. They still would have written the amendment differently. After all, does anyone really need to shoot 800 rounds to down a quail? Does anyone really need to shoot 800? 100 rounds to shoot fans off a fence in target practice? Such a broad interpretation of the Second Amendment as the current conservative majority has is a rather new thing for the Supreme Court. Historically, the court denied any notion that the Second Amendment gave ordinary citizens the blanket right to own guns, assault weapons like the AR 15, especially. We see this in a 1939 case, for example, the United States v. Miller, where the court specifically stated that the Second Amendment referred to the kinds of weapons, quote, in common use at the time, unquote. It added that the Second Amendment, quote, must be interpreted and applied with that in view, unquote. In other words, The Second Amendment referred only to weapons that have a reasonable relationship to the effectiveness of a well-regulated militia and the kinds of weapons that existed when the Second Amendment was written. The Miller case involved two men from Oklahoma who, quote, did unlawfully, knowingly, willfully, and feloniously unquote, transport over state lines a double-barreled, 12-gauge shotgun the barrel that was less than 18 inches in length. Quote, said defendants, not having registered said firearm as required by federal law, unquote. The two men argued that what they did was protected under the Second Amendment. The court disagreed, quote, in the absence of any evidence tending to show that possession or use of a shotgun having a barrel of less than 18 inches in length at this time has some reasonable relationship to the preservation or efficiency of a well-regulated militia, we cannot say the Second Amendment guarantees the right to keep and bear such an instrument. Certainly, it is not within judicial notice that this weapon is in any part of the ordinary military equipment, or that its use could contribute to the common defense." A 1983 case Quilichi v. Village of Morton Grove, Illinois, was even more direct. In that case, the justices, without comment or dissent, upheld a decision by the 7th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals that ruled in favor of Morton Grove's ban on N-Guns. Said the 7th Circuit, to which the Supreme Court concurred, quote, We conclude that the right to keep and bear handguns is not guaranteed by the Second Amendment, unquote. The right to keep and bear handguns is not guaranteed by the Second Amendment. The 1988 Heller case turned that ruling on its head. Within days of that ruling, the village of Morton Grove ended its handgun ban, saying it had no choice. The Second Amendment was never intended to make rapid-fire assault weapons so readily available, and the court, until 2008, said as much. No less a personage than the late conservative Republican Chief Justice of the United States, Warren E. Berger, was very clear on that when he criticized the NRA. In 1991, Berger told a PBS NewsHour interviewer, quote, If I were writing the Bill of Rights now... There wouldn't be any such thing as the Second Amendment. This has been the subject of one of the greatest pieces of fraud. I repeat the word fraud on the American public by special interest groups that I have ever seen in my lifetime, unquote. Six former attorneys general, Nicholas Katzenbach, Ramsey Clark, Elliot Richardson, Edward Levy, Griffin Bell, and Benjamin Civiletti had this to say in a Washington Post opinion piece they co-authored a couple of years ago. Quote, For more than 200 years, the federal courts have unanimously determined that the Second Amendment does not guarantee immediate access to guns for private purposes. Unquote. The current court majority, however, thinks otherwise. Effective gun control legislation, however, doesn't have to involve a full-fledged ban on guns. There are things that can be done to make guns safer, but that's not on the agenda of the politicians of either party who live in fear of the NRA or who depend on its financial support. For example, Congress could require all guns to be equipped with a radio frequency identification device, an RFID, essentially a locking mechanism controlled by an authorization tag worn by the gun owner or even from far away by an app on the owner's smartphone. Then there are biometric smart guns, as I mentioned last week in my column, such as those that require a fingerprint to unlock the trigger. quote President Barack Obama following the mass shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School in January 2013, quote, if we can set it up So you can't unlock your phone unless you've got the right fingerprint? Why can't we do the same thing for our guns, unquote? Why indeed? In another area, Congress can authorize the Consumer Product Safety Commission to regulate gun safety, and it can fund a continuing study of other efforts of making guns safe, such as improving those biometric systems I mentioned. It can also reverse a 1996 law that bars the Centers for Disease Control and the National Institutes of Health from using funds for any project or study that's likely to, quote, be used to advocate or promote gun control, unquote. Congress can also require a universal background check on anyone trying to buy a gun, require all gun owners to be licensed, reimpose the ban on the rapid Fire assault weapons that are so common in mass shootings, like the AR-15. Limit the number of rounds allowed in magazines. Pass a so-called red flag law that allows judges to remove guns from people who pose a risk to public safety, among other measures. There's been a lot of talk about red flag laws the last couple of weeks since Uvalde. Even these minimalist laws, though, are opposed by the gun lobby especially by the National Association for Gun Rights and Gun Owners of America, both of which will brook no compromise whatever on gun legislation. These laws are also opposed by the National Rifle Association, although the NRA is less outspoken on this than the other two groups. Here's one other thing Congress can do. It can rescind the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act passed in 2005, that prohibits victims of gun violence from bringing civil suits against gun manufacturers and sellers. The NRA's chief executive officer, Wayne Mapier called that law, quote, the most significant piece of pro-gun legislation in 20 years, unquote. All of these things are in Congress's power to do. Congress, however, won't do any of these things, unless pressured to do so. As individuals, we may not be able to stop the next mass shooting. But as a community whose votes Congress cares about, we can, quote, hire it, unquote, to act on our behalf. We can do so by voting against any candidate who opposes stricter gun measures and, we can donate to campaigns outside our districts to defeat such NRA heroes as Ted Cruz and Mark Robinson. Jewish law puts life above almost everything else. And by its command to, quote, not stand idly by the blood of your fellow, unquote, it requires us to be in the forefront of any movement to keep military style weapons and accessories out of civilian hands. And to prevent anyone who is mentally ill or is an abuser of any kind, spousal abuser, child abuser, or any other kind of abuser, or anyone who has a history of violence of all other kinds from owning any kind of gun that has the ability to kill. Mass shootings haven't budged Congress to enact any kind of significant gun regulations in year after year. The laws on the books before Sandy Hook are still the only laws on the books today. If killing children is not enough reason to enact some effective laws, Congress should take a harder look at the comments made by elected officials who make no secret about why they oppose gun restrictions. As Mark Robinson bragged about his weapons collection to that church, quote, I got them AR-15s in case the government gets too big for its britches, because I'm going to fill the backside of them britches with some lead, unquote. This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmayer. I do hope you come back for my next podcast, and I'd like to hear what you have to say about this or my other podcasts. Go to www.shammai.org www.shammai.org and email me, please. If you don't get the Jewish standard, but want to read my columns, go to the columns page of my website. The latest column is about gun control. Keep in mind that this weekend, Saturday night, Sunday, and Monday through sunset are the festival of Shavuot, the festival of the giving of the Torah, Let's all celebrate the giving of the Torah together. Shabbat Shalom. Stay healthy. Keep wearing those N95 masks in indoor venues, no matter who tells you otherwise. And get fully vaccinated if you haven't done so as yet, including both the first and second booster shots. Chag Sameach as well. And above all, stay safe.